You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communications, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and family guy. Today on our show, we have Phaedra Aldridge, CEO of the BC Schizophrenia Society. Phaedra's career has spanned over 20 years in the fields of strategic and corporate communications, including project management in both the private and public sectors. Before joining BCSS, she held a leadership role with one of the largest health research institutes in Canada, Vancouver Coastal Health Research Institute, where she oversaw the stakeholder relations portfolio. She also has leadership experience with a number of nonprofit organizations, including the YMCA, and was a producer of the CBC Morning Show. Her management experience, combined with her passion for health and fitness, has allowed her to lead international teams in parts of Africa and Asia. Phaedra's roots are in Calgary, Alberta, but she has called BC home for over 15 years. Phaedra, welcome. Wow, that was quite the introduction. Hi, Ted. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. How are you these days? I'm doing well. It's been a long time. It's nice to connect, and and, uh, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So, yeah, normally we start with just origin stories, uh, you know, of, of folks that we talk to, because clearly you've, you've had quite the illustrious career doing lots of different things, broadcasting, leadership in, in healthcare, and now you're, you're leading a, a very important society. And so just wanted to kind of hear, you know, how you got to where you got. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, like you said, it's been quite a journey, Ted. But it's been a fantastic journey, I must say. So, yeah, I was a, I was a journalist for a number of years and absolutely loved uh, being in front of a camera or behind a microphone, talking to people, hearing what makes them tick, hearing their stories. So I absolutely loved that piece. But what really got me excited was... Um, conveying messages. So hearing people's stories, but also getting those important messages out there. And eventually I became a CBC morning show producer, which I which I thoroughly enjoyed. You live, breathe and eat news, which I loved. And then uh, as you said in my introduction in my bio, then I went on to work with Vancouver Coastal Health Research Institute and oversaw the key, the communications and the stakeholder relations. And then, yeah, eventually I ended up uh, with with BCSS, so the BC Schizophrenia Society. So it has been quite a journey, but really health has always been an integral part of my life. I was a competitive athlete, so health has always been a part of my life. Even when I was a reporter, my beat was always health. And and mental health is also physical health. So health has just always been an integral part of both my personal life as well as my professional life. Absolutely, And, and health, mental health, uh, has been at the forefront of the the zeitgeist right now, I think, just of the entire, you know, dialogue that we're all talking about over social media and whatnot because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's timely that we're having this conversation. Maybe you want to touch upon that and how mental health you see is, is affecting a lot of uh, British Columbians and Canadians. Yeah, Ted, I, I think that's a really good point. And Obviously, during COVID, mental health has certainly come to the forefront, and it it has really put mental health on the map. But here, I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a little bit. You can kick me off at any point, Ted, <laughs> but I am going to get on my soapbox here for a little bit. So yes, mental health is important, but one of the biggest issues that I see is that mental health and mental illness tend to be used synonymously, and that is 
is incorrect. They are not synonymous terms. Mental health is something we all need to be concerned about. Whatever we need to do to take care of our own bodies, our own mental health, we all know, you know, sleeping, um, ensuring, you know, watching our intake of alcohol, of, of drugs, we all need to take care of our mental health, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, eating those green vegetables. We know what we need to do to take care of our mental health. Mental illness is a disorder, such as Parkinson's or MS or diabetes. It is an illness. And that's one thing that, that I'm very passionate about is the difference between mental health and mental illness. And schizophrenia is a chronic disorder, like I said, like any other illness that people are dealing with the effects of and that requires treatment. Schizophrenia, bipolar are chronic disorders. And so them being that, that discrepancy that you're, you're talking about here is, is one that is a distinction that, you know, I myself am guilty of not, not fully understanding until you and I had a call, um, you know, a little while ago before we set up this, this meeting. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, being, it's, you know, former journalist and someone that's gone through, you know, the the research Institute at VCH, uh, what are you doing from a calm side of things to get the message out, uh, to really tell folks about the distinction other than, you know, hopping onto a podcast or two. Right. Right. And, and I, and, and Ted, and please don't feel bad about that. I think there is a lot of misconceptions out there around mental health versus mental illness. And I think in some ways people want to use the term mental health because they want to make it more polite. Let's face it. That's why we say mental health. It sounds a lot nicer, a lot calmer, a lot more gentle than using the term mental illness. So um, I completely forgive you. <laughs> You're off the hook. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, but um, in terms of messaging, it's something that I think with my background and my amazing communications team, that we feel is very important is to increase mental health and mental illness literacy across the province, across the country, to be able to get information out about what mental illness truly is. And the fact that it affects all of us, all of us in some way would either be indirectly or directly impacted by mental illness. We would either be impacted ourselves and be affected by it, or we would know somebody who is affected by it. So I think the more we can keep talking, the more we can keep listening, the more information we can get out there, then we can create that path to normalization. So that's why it's essential that we as an entire society, not just BCSS, but everybody, that we continue talking and and increasing awareness about severe and persistent mental illness. And so what can, other than, okay, so talking is great. I I think that that's fantastic. And and that's something that you're encouraging, but as a communications professional, Mm -hmm. are there any you know, tips and tricks or strategies that you can share with our audience about how you can get the word out there? Or is it kind of the same over the last 20 years? I'm assuming it's changed vastly since, you know, you started a couple of decades ago. Yeah. And, and I would say, Ted, I mean, I wish things were, when it comes to depression and anxiety, absolutely. There has been tremendous momentum in terms of getting the word out and increasing awareness. When it comes to severe and persistent mental illness, we still have a long way to go. And one 
one piece that I'm always looking for is, is those internal champions, those individuals who are willing to put up their hand and say, I have schizophrenia, or I experience psychosis, or I know somebody who has schizophrenia or bipolar. We're always looking for those internal champions. And I'm just going to back up here for a moment and just and, and paint the picture as to why it's so difficult to find those internal champions. So I work in a high-rise building and there was a, a young gentleman across the hall from me and I could tell that he was always coming by my door and I don't have my title. I don't have my name on my door. It says BC Schizophrenia Society. And I could tell he always wanted to talk to me. So I thought either one of two things, either one, he wants information about schizophrenia or two, he's asking me on a date. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't the latter. Um, <laughs> so, so finally, um, I did, I did ask him and I just said, you know, would you like to come into my office and have this conversation with me? You obviously would like to connect. And he said, I'd really like to talk to you about schizophrenia, but I'm really afraid to come into your office. Ready for this? Because I'm afraid I could catch schizophrenia from you. This oh. was a well-educated individual and he thought that I had schizophrenia, but even if I did have schizophrenia, I can't give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that shows how far we need to go when it comes to increasing awareness about schizophrenia and finding those internal champions. Because if somebody has cancer, people, society wraps their arms around them and says, you know, what can I do to support you and your family? What can I, what can I do? Whether it be money, whether it be providing casseroles on their front step, just they wrap their arms around them and support them in any way possible. If somebody has a serious mental illness, people don't know what to say. And people are not willing to put up their hand and say, I have schizophrenia. Or what can I do to support you? So it makes people feel very isolated, whether you are the individual living with the illness or you are the friend or family supporting that individual with the illness. So to answer your question, I think getting people to speak, getting people to, to acknowledge that this illness does affect them will help us increase the awareness to create that quote unquote normalization surrounding mental illness. And I think people talking about it, you know, mental illness affects so many parts of our society, homelessness, incarceration rates, the, you know, upwards of 70% of the people in our jails have a mental illness. Homeless population, same thing. There's upwards of 70%, over 60% of the population of individuals living on the streets have a mental illness. It impacts so many parts of our society. And I think the more we can do to address the root cause and encourage people to seek treatment, then the better off we will be as a, as a society overall. Well, and I know you. that was a long answer. No, I think it, that's that's. That's really, really helpful. And, and I'm going to just continue to speak from my, you know, lay person, fairly ignorant um, perception and just ask you these questions. I think a lot of audience members might have the same questions. So you speak of it like, you know, it's mental illness. It's, it's kind of like cancer or whatnot. So I have um, a friend who, whose partner um, has since passed, but did have cancer over the last uh, 12 months. 
And yeah, I, I made many a casserole and, and did many kind of things to, to help with the family situation because that was kind of what I could do. And, and, um, is that kind of the same? Is that kind of the, the, the question that we want people to ask? And also are there, like, I'm assuming there are treatments, but I'm not even aware of that. You know, like I know if you got cancer, you go do chemo or you do, you know, alternative treatments and, and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what's that like for someone that might have schizophrenia and, and what can we do as some, so, you know, someone in their community to help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to your point about the person in your life that had cancer, your first question was probably, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Do you need a hug? Do you need those casseroles? Do you need my ne- money, financial support? Do you, you know, do you just need a listening ear? What mm-hmm. do you need? And that was probably something that you and your family did to reach out to, to your close friend to mm-hmm. say, where if somebody has a serious mental illness, people don't know what to say, whether it be that they back up because they're afraid they're going to catch it or whether they, they, they feel bad for the individual that's talking about it, whether that person, you know, has the illness or their family member has it, people just don't know what to say. And I think sometimes it's okay to say, I want to support you. I want to do whatever I can, what you need right now, but I don't know what to do. And I think that's okay to say. So with, with cancer or with Parkinson's, we as a society tend to jump in and want to provide that support. It's very different when it comes to a chronic disorder like schizophrenia, because people don't jump in and roll up their sleeves and say, what can I do? People, it's the opposite effect. People tend to back up rather than lean in. And I think the more that we as a society can lean in to supporting the individual with the illness and the family member supporting that individual, the better off we're all going to be. Now, in terms of treatment, there are lots of treatment. There are lots of treatment options. And yes, getting the diagnosis of schizophrenia is devastating for an for an individual as well as for the family supporting that individual devastating it's a chronic disorder but there are treatment options there's um, psychosocial programs and there are medications the key is to get treatment early that is the key and research is consistently showing that the earlier we can get intervention the better off that individual will be. So that is the key, is to get treatment and to get treatment early. And maybe it's a good opportunity to talk about schizophrenia and, and feel free to stop me, Ted, if, if you know this, but I think, you know, schizophrenia, there's a perception out there that it's something that happens out there. It doesn't, it, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact my family. And there is the impression that, that schizophrenia is a rare illness when in fact it's not. One out of 100 people have schizophrenia. One out of 100. And three out of 100 people experience psychosis. So schizophrenia is the illness itself. Psychosis is a symptom, but three out of 100 people experience psychosis. So it is not a rare 
illness that happens to people out there. It is, it's an illness that, like I said, most people would either be directly impacted by it or directly or indirectly impacted by schizophrenia. So it's, uh, and it's, it is a devastating, devastating illness and the fact that it tends to strike people very young. It typically hits people in their 20s, in their late teens or early 20s. So right when they're just getting, you know, into, you know, into school or into relationships or into university. So it, it affects people very young and it is a lifelong illness. So then with things like cancer, Parkinson's, there's usually early symptoms that family members and friends can look out for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there such, such signs to look out for for uh, schizophrenia uh, or, or psychosis? Yeah, that's a, really good, that's a really good question. So one of the first signs, um, obviously it would take a physician to be able to diagnose it properly, but some of the signs that a family or an individual would see would be a change in behavior. So perhaps they start withdrawing, they, they stop showering, they, their sleeping patterns drastically shift, as well as delusions and hallucinations. So they see or feel or hear things or believe things that are not real. And can you imagine, Ted, experiencing psychosis where you see and hear things that are not real? It would be, I just can't imagine, and my heart truly goes out to those individuals experiencing psychosis because what an awful, awful situation when you don't know if, if what you're seeing is real and then to have all these voices in your head coming at you. And some of those voices are not pleasant. They're not, you know, cheering you on saying how great you are. Some of those voices can be incredibly cruel and you know, within the media, there's, you know, schizophrenia is talked about a lot. And uh, as you and I both know, as journalists, and one thing that I would say to media outlets is, yes, let's talk about schizophrenia. And unfortunately, violence can be a part of schizophrenia due to those voices that we were just talking about. But with treatment, and with proper treatment, then we can alleviate some of those voices, not in every single case, but through treatment, there is the possibility that we are able to drastically improve those those delusions and hallucinations. So that's where, again, just getting treatment is so essential and absolutely crucial to, uh, you know, to improving quality of life for people who do live with schizophrenia. So for for you, you you know, being the CEO of, of the organization and with a, with a comms background, you know, for twenty twenty two and beyond, do you have particular communication goals that you're trying to hit? That's a really good question, and <laughs> the the number <laughs> I don't even know if there's a number big enough, Ted, um, for the communications number I'd like to hit. What I would like to see, Ted, would be for every person out there, when we say the term schizophrenia, that they know what it is. There are so many myths and stigma that still around, that still surround schizophrenia. So I think from a communications perspective, if we can increase awareness, increase people's knowledge about what schizophrenia is, 
then we, then that's a huge feather in our cap in terms of, of, of doing our part to, to increase awareness because so many people still think, for example, that schizophrenia is multiple personality and it's not, that is a huge myth violence. You know, there's a myth that if you have schizophrenia, you're automatically violent. And that is unfortunately there again, something that is portrayed in the news and in Hollywood movies. And yes, there can be an increase in violence because of those voices. But if a person is receiving the proper treatment, they're not any more violent than you and I, than anybody else. The key is that proper treatment. So there's still many myths and stigma that surround serious mental illness. So I think just the more we can increase awareness and keep talking about it and campaigns and, and podcasts like this and, you know, television campaigns and just people talking about it within the community, then I think we'll be able to get to a point where the term schizophrenia or severe and persistent mental illness is something that we all become familiar with, just as we have with depression and anxiety, because we've come a long way with depression and anxiety, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to chronic disorders like schizophrenia. You know, when you're talking about schizophrenia just now, about, you know, the violence and the fact that, you know, that's not always the case, um, and, and a lot of times it is not. Uh, it actually um, triggered a memory that I had uh, back when my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, after during university, we all kind of took odd jobs and whatnot. And she went canvassing in the downtown east side for um, the, the long form census for the Canadian government. And her partner that she was paired with was a gentleman um, who had schizophrenia. And so I got to say, I was, I was very nervous uh, about the situation, thinking, you know, all the media portrayals of what that might look like. Um, my, my wife now, but my girlfriend then she, she was like, no, it's all good. I met him. He's fine. It'll be okay. And, and, you know, did three days with him and, and the guy was a lovely, gentle, kind soul. And Mm -hmm. they, uh, kind of did their canvassing job. And in fact, it was, um, it was a, a very safe and pleasant experience. And so by the end of it, I was like, okay, well, is, is that guy going with you? Cause I, I want him to make sure that he's, he's, he's tagging along. And so um, I think having more of that engagement with folks in society is, is impactful. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe let's, let's turn to your podcast. Okay. So but you I got a podcast. I just oh, have yeah, to jump ahead. in before that. Sure. I just have to commend that gentleman that your wife, your now wife was working with, that he had the courage to say, I have schizophrenia obviously to somebody that he didn't know very well. So I just have to give full kudos to that gentleman that he had the courage to be able to say, I have schizophrenia, because if he had Parkinson's or if he had MS or if he had diabetes, that's probably something that would come up in conversation. So the fact that he had the courage to say that to somebody, my, my, I, I tilt my hat to him. So I, I just had to jump in and say that. So thanks for sharing that story, Ted. Well, yeah. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker. 
engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. And and so let's let's talk about the podcast. So, hey. whose idea was it? Not a lot of, uh, you know, societies have a lot of have podcasts. And it sounds like you've had some some amazing episodes. Um, tell me about it. How you got into doing it and maybe some other, uh, organizations might, you know, trigger them to, to want to create one themselves. Yeah. So we're part of a, of a fantastic coalition called BC partners and BC partners consists of a number of organizations within British Columbia and, you know, Jesse's legacy, for example, so our own eating disorder, um, anxiety, there's just a, a multi, you know, CMHA, there's a number of groups involved with BC partners. And we were always talking about ways to increase mental health and mental illness literacy. And so I just thought it was a perfect combination because, as you know, my big push is to increase awareness around that severe and persistent, that serious mental illness. So we just came up with the idea of, well, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. There's We don't have any podcasts out there focused on severe and persistent mental illness. Let's change it. And let's make it really real conversations. You know, exactly the way we're talking now. I wanted it to be where we're, we're, we're peeling back the layers and really getting into the nitty gritty about schizophrenia and the impacts of schizophrenia and, and serious mental illness on our society as a whole. And so this is our second season of it, and I'm really excited with how it's turned out. We've, we've you know, spoken to international researchers. We've talked to a number of people that have schizophrenia. We even heard from one woman who had taped herself having an, um, a psychotic episode, and we were able to, to play that on the podcast. So it's, it's just been a really informative, and I'm learning a ton, and I've met some incredible people through this podcast, and it's, it's been really well received. So, so thank you for asking. And one of the topics that we, we talk about that comes up a lot in our podcast is cannabis, especially with the legalization um, you know, of cannabis, because a lot of people don't know the strong relationship between cannabis use 
and the increased risk of psychosis. So that's something that comes up a lot on our podcast is that connection between cannabis use and the increased risk of, of psychosis. And so actually elaborate a bit on that because, uh, you know, um, I might have imbibed in, in cannabis once upon a time when in, in my younger days uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, but didn't know about that correlation. And in fact, a lot of the, the conversations that I heard pre-legalization was about the health benefits that were, were seen to, to be in existence with CBD and all that kind of stuff. And here you are saying that, hey, there is a correlation uh, between cannabis and psychosis. Yes, yes. So, and of course, Ted, you know, the fact that you would have used when you were younger, and let's face it, majority of people have. So no, no judgment. But one thing that we do with BCSS is we do work with the younger generation as well. So we support families. And part of that is we support um, the younger generation through our kids and teens and control programs. And this is something we talk a lot about the podcast, but we also talk, talk a lot in our programming, working with a younger generation. And I have some some very interesting stats for you, Ted, which might scare you, but um, this is from the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction from 2019. So we're talking new stats. Ready for this? Okay. Okay. I quote, it has been estimated that using cannabis at some point in life increases the risk for developing psychosis by 40%, 40%, and that cannabis use accounts for 8% to 14% of diagnosis of schizophrenia, up to 14%. Is there a reason why? So what it is, is if you have, it depends on, there's a number of factors, but it depends on the amount of THC and if you have a family connection. So chronic cannabis use is more likely to result in schizophrenia in individuals with a family history of the illness compared to individuals with no family history, but the research also shows there is still a risk of developing psychosis and schizophrenia with regular cannabis use among individuals without a family history of these disorders. So if you have that family connection, if you consume cannabis at a younger age, and have, you know, the certain amount of THC, then the risk of developing psychosis does greatly increase. And that's something where, to your point, you know, a lot of the medical benefits are talked about. It's natural. It's, it's you know, I keep hearing it's better for you than alcohol. And obviously, I'm not a doctor. I don't know to that level. All I know is the research is showing the very strong relationship between cannabis use and the increased risk of psychosis. And in fact, it's even now in the DSM-5, which is interesting. So the DSM-5, it doesn't have a cannabis-induced psychotic disorder diagnosis, but it does state, and I quote, concern has been raised about cannabis use as a causal factor in schizophrenia. Causal causal. This is in the DSM-5. Concern has been raised about cannabis use as a causal factor in schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. Now, if that doesn't say that we need to talk about cannabis use in this increased risk, I don't know what does. Well, I, I, um, I remember as you were talking about this conversation just now about these stats, uh, during legalization, I was very interested as a marketer, you know, trying to see, mm-hmm. is there a mm-hmm. way for us to help the, this industry on, on the marketing side? And clearly it wasn't because all the regulations, but when I went to a number of these talks, um, 
you know, there's, there was a gentleman who was heading one of the one of the dispensaries, uh, kind of my age, young young kids. And one of the questions was, okay, well, because when it becomes legal, are you going to allow your your kids, even if they're you know of legal age, 19, 20, to consume this? And it was very surprising for this gentleman to say no. He said, I, until the human brain doesn't fully, this is what he said. I can't remember his name. He was out of Victoria. I have to find his name. But um, he said, um, the human brain doesn't fully develop until you're about 25. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, I, I know the effects of, of cannabis and all the THC and whatnot. And he said, I would, if they're going to do it, I would have them do it after the age of 25. Now, he's not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I just remember thinking that as, you know, I might have consumed a bit of pot in my younger days. And, you know, I have a young daughter and I was kind of thinking, you know, uh, what do I, what do I say about this topic when, when the question comes up? And so I think this for me anyway, ended up being one of those, you know, put in the back pocket answers when my, when my daughter starts asking me about this. So is that kind of what the study is showing is that at a young age, because your brain's not fully developed and then the high amount of THC can cause and chronic use of it, I'm assuming it's not a one-time cannabis use. It's like, if you're, you know, doing what they used to call wake and bakes and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. you were, you were a, a big consumer of it. Is that what your stats are showing? Uh, unfortunately, the stats show that it can be one time, that it doesn't one have time. to be a chronic yeah. user. And the the biggest link they're showing is that is that family connection to mm. mental illness is having mm. that family connection. And you're right, the the younger you do it, obviously, the higher risk you are. And I think that's the you know, we would never want to say you shouldn't do it, um, you know, be one of those organizations. But I think what's what's essential is that people are aware of the risks, that if you do this, this is a possibility as to what could happen to you or your loved one, in your case, Ted, with your daughter, if she were to consume cannabis at a younger age. And, and there's just so many, you know, our, our government did a tremendous job around the legalization part of it, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to the health implications of cannabis, especially when it's connected to mental illness and to our mental health. Let's circle back to the fact that, you know, we want to have the conversation within our own communities around it. You know, what if, you know, now that we've had this conversation, you know, there's a couple of people in mind that I, I kind of thought, Hmm. Now I'm kind of thinking just based on how you've described it, maybe they, they don't have, you know, maybe they have early onset or whatever of, of mental illness. How do you have that conversation with somebody, right? How do you go like, Hmm, maybe you should go see a doctor. I noticed like, do, cause you know, there, uh, unless there's someone that's your actual, your partner, your spouse, your, mm-hmm. your own kids or parents, if it's a cousin or a neighbor or a friend, that's going to be a hard thing to say, isn't it? Like, you know, like maybe with cancers, Hey, I noticed there's a, you know, growth on your arm, like maybe you should get that checked. Like even that is, I don't know. Right. But now it's like, Hey, I noticed that your behavior is kind of like this. Maybe you have psychosis. Like I think from a societal standpoint, I'm not sure that that is, um, acceptable yet, but maybe that's a boundary you have to push me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? You know, Ted, I'm so glad you brought up this point. It's a really good point because you're right. Look at that case that just happened with the Vancouver, I think it was a Vancouver Canucks where there was a, a fan and she saw that somebody, yeah, 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 one yeah. of the coach the, the had, coaches, a, yeah. had a mole and she put it up on her phone. Like, you know, she had the courage to come forward and say, this mole doesn't look right. I think you need to get it checked out. And I think 
if we could get there as a society where if somebody that you know and care about <clears throat> is you see struggling or their behavior has changed or perhaps they're seeing things or hearing voices or you've just noticed a change in their personality. I hope that we as a society can get to a point where we can say, hey, you know, I care about you. Have you thought about looking into this? Have you, have you talked to your family physician about this? Have you talked to your counselor about what you're going through right now? Because I care about you and I'm seeing this change. And I think all you could do as a friend, all we can do as, as a friend of, of people that we care about is to just point that out, that this is what we're noticing. We're noticing this change in your behavior. Could you please look into it? See, and there's an extra complexity to Ted, unfortunately, with severe and persistent mental illness, something called anosognosia. It's a big word. So anosognosia is the inability to recognize that you are ill. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. And unfortunately, over 50% of people that have a serious mental illness have anosognosia. And some researchers say the number can be as high as 90%. So what it is, is you, you lack that awareness that you have an illness. So how are you supposed to get help if you don't even recognize the fact that you are ill? So I think if we could have people speaking more open, just like that young woman who saw the coach, you know, with the mole mm. and highlighting, I think you should get help. I hope that one day we can get there we, where we can say to somebody else, I recognize this change in your behavior. I hope you seek help and I hope you seek help early. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I know that we've had a, a bit of a heavier type conversation. I think it was very needed. Uh, also, we typically have a rapid fire round just to get to know Phaedra and, and you know, who <laughs> she is. And I, oh boy. I hope, I hope you'd be open to, to having some of these, you know, rapid fire fun questions. Um, oh. Yeah, you, you into it? Absolutely. Without right. a doubt. Bring it on, Ted. All right. So let's start off with something easy. So you're a fitness buff. Um, yep. Swim, run, bike. All the above. All of the above. Oh, My goal man. this year is I want to do a triathlon. So all of the above. What's your swim time? Oh, geez. I don't know that, Ted. Um, that's a <laughs> tough question. That's one of the toughest questions you've asked me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> swimming is probably what I would need to improve the most. So I, I haven't really clocked myself, but I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Night owl or early bird? Oh, early bird all the way. Being a fitness person, do you eat carbs? I do eat carbs, but I'm very selective with my carbs. What is your <laughs> carb of choice then? <laughs> so my carb of choice would be, I love sweet potatoes. So yeah, my, my carb of choice would be complex carbs. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't eat a lot of white bread and white rice. No, but then those. you you like, you'll bake the sweet potato or like, or are we talking about like sweet potato pie? Cause like that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's not sweet potato pie, but okay. uh, yeah, I do. I do roast my sweet potatoes, and All I do right. eat carbs. I do eat carbs. You do need. You do need carbs, especially if you are burning the energy. You do need it. But uh, as we all know, there's a very difference in the carbohydrates we consume. Yes. What kind of music are you listening to right now? Oh, 
You know what? The type of music I love, the type of music when you can turn it on and you can dance in your living room. My poor neighbors, I live in a, I live in a condo and I'm sure they can hear my, uh, uh, what are you uh, listening to right now? Jumping to my, um, I love, I do love, um, hip hop. I love reggae. I love, um, I love, I love it all. I love country. So I really do like it. So all. anything well, with I'm, a beat, basically. Anything with saying. a beat, bring on the beat. I'm not a huge opera fan. Sorry, opera fans out there. I don't but, think you work uh, out Maybe with I just opera. haven't been exposed to it. I don't. I don't think anyone can work out to Carmen or anything like that. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that makes sense. Um, what is? Uh, are you? I, I'm assuming. I was going to ask. Savory tooth or sweet tooth? Savory. Definitely and not sweet. Not sweet. No. Um, any places you plan to? go sightsee when COVID hopefully finally is over? You know, one place that I've never, I, I did, I've lived in Africa, so I would love to go back to Africa, but one place I've never been to and it's on my list and get me there is I would love to visit Spain. Spain? Spain, yeah. Is there a reason? No, I just, I love the the music and the, it's just, there's something to the beat, Spanish the people at the beat. Exactly. No, just to be able to get back, get to Spain would be, would be phenomenal. The but there's so many places too. that we would all love to go to. What's one thing that you wish you had more time for? Hmm. I would love to write a book, interesting enough. So I would love to have more time to reflect um, you know, as, as we all are type A personalities, fast paced society, I would just love to have more time to sit and write and to reflect. And I know they talk about, researchers talk about the importance of looking at the present day and where we're at right now. But I think if we can reflect as to what happened to how we got to this point and also where we want to go. And I think part of that is, is writing your journey and everybody has a story to tell. Absolutely. And, and I would just, uh, I'd really love to be able to, to share, to share that story. Would you also make it an audiobook? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I never thought about that, Ted. Now that's a good idea. Perhaps. Yes. Maybe an audiobook. There we go. One of the guests that I'm going to be interviewing, um, in the next while, um, he actually is writing a book. He finished writing a book. And in our pre-call, he was talking about how the next time he writes a book, he's definitely going to write with the audio book in mind. Because mm -hmm. when you write and you have thoughts, you might write a sentence that's like a paragraph long and you need to take breaths. Mm -hmm. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing I'd love to do is a TED Talks. Oh. Yeah. I think you could apply for that. That's like one of my friends just like, you just kind of go online, you fill in a form and oh, you got something okay. to say, you, you go do good, it. I, I mean, I'll, I'll send you a link. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last impulse buy that you made. Last impulse buy that I made. Oh, I just bought a Lululemon jacket. I do not need any more running jackets, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was calling my name. So it was like me and sneakers at the beginning of COVID. I had nothing to do. And just these, these email blasts keep coming. I'm like, Oh, those shoes look good. Those shoes look good. I have yet to wear all the pairs outside. Oh, do you, you wear certain ones in the gym? Well, cause I have, yeah. So I have, I, we, you know, like a lot of people built or turned our basement into a gym. So I have, I have a bunch of sneakers. I have like three pairs of sneakers downstairs for like, one is for like kickboxing, one is for um, cardio, and the other, for some reason, I just want to wear shoes while I'm lifting weights. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's kind of strange. So, uh, yeah. Um, oh, and another impulse buy? Yeah. 
bottle of scotch. I'm a, I'm oh, a yeah? Scotch Ooh. I'm a scotch oh, girl. I love scotch. Why did do we you? talk about scotch? What did you <laughs> buy? Know, we could have a whole podcast on scotch. We should have. Um, Lagavoon. Lagavoon. Okay. Have you had that one? It's very Which peaty. one? Very Which one? Lagavoon 16, 14? Uh, 15. 15. 15. 15 okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I had the Lagavoon 16. I love smoky. I'm a Brulatic fan. Okay. I hope I, I, I pronounce that right. Brulatic? I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't it. pronounce it either. Port and another Charlotte one of my favorites. Yeah? Del Winnie. Have you tried that one? I've had the Del Winnie. That's yeah. a blend, though. No, it's single malt, baby. Bell, Del Winnie 15, right? Del Winnie 15, single yeah, malt. Yeah, it's pretty smooth. It's pretty it's tasty. Smooth. Anyway, I don't know how we got on the topic of scotch, but yeah, that was an impulse buy. Impulse buy. <laughs> All right. So la- any, any last words, advice to our audience, members of communicators, advertisers, marketers? Anybody who's listening, I think the more we can continue talking about those really tough topics. And let's face it, schizophrenia is not an easy topic, still a lot of stigma and a lot of myths. And I think the more that that we can talk about it and increase awareness, the better off we're all going to be as a society. So let's keep talking and let's find those internal champions that are willing to say, I have schizophrenia, I know somebody that has schizophrenia or a severe and persistent mental illness. And please, let's differentiate between mental health and mental illness. We all need to be focused on our mental health and find those ways to stay healthy. So let's keep talking about mental illness and hopefully one day we'll be able to get on that path to quote unquote normalization. I mean, that's fantastic. It was very much an education for myself today. So I really appreciate your time, Phaedra, for, you know, just telling us about your journey and the cause and all that kind of stuff and and what it really means um, for, you know, the distinction between mental illness and mental health. So how do people get a hold of you and and hear about your podcast? Yes. So um, podcast information is on our website, www.bcss.org. The podcast is called Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, all our information about BCSS is obviously on our website. And if you are experiencing psychosis or even just suspect that something isn't quite right, please get help and reach out to organizations like BCSS, reach out to those you care about. And uh, like I said, get help early because we all need to wrap our arms around people experiencing psychosis and severe and persistent mental illness, as well as support those family members that are supporting the individuals with the illness itself. So I think there's a lot that we as a society can do and continue to do. So get help if you are experiencing reach out to organizations such as BCSS. And yeah, please just everyone take care, take care. Let's all focus on our mental health. Absolutely. Well, much love to you and yours, Phaedra. Um, Great, uh, great connecting, great chat. Um, So everybody, thanks again for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm Ted Lau. This is Phaedra Aldridge. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 